episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, we've got to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. I'm uh, still currently moving in at my new place if you are actually watching live. And these guys are laughing because I've been trying to set up these boxes, like a box fort so that the echo isn't as bad so i have most of these guys do the talk in the show we've got an exciting episode because we're going to celebrate derek and talk about his road back to the pro tour we're going to talk about andy and what he played at gp pittsburgh and we got a new guest on the show andy why don't you introduce him so that i stop talking <laughs> well uh today on the show we have the elliot fortier a level two judge from my hometown of Kingston, Ontario, who currently lives in Montreal. Welcome to the podcast, Elliot. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. What? You're in Montreal right now? Yeah. I also, I messaged you that I was in Montreal. Okay, my bad. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's get right to it. Derek, what happened? What happened? The first, the most positive episode of what happened ever. Uh, I won my RPTQ. Uh, yay! Um, I didn't lose the finals this time. You know, it's it's real nice finally winning a qualification for the Pro Tour again. You know, um, don't really know what else to say other than that. Like, it's it's still pretty surreal. Like, like I'm not gonna lie. When I when I finished my match, I. I guess I guess I'll play the story from the start. Okay, so it's Thursday night. Okay, it's not Thursday night. It's two weeks before Thursday night. Uh, D Rude and D Mac are talking about going to Vegas, and I'm like, okay, these are the decks I want to play, and it's green white, um, blue black, and mono red or red black, whatever, right? And I knew that Andy had come back from his RPTQ. And that's what they played. And they said it was pretty good. And I talked to a couple other people on what they were playing. And they said it was pretty good. And I've been playing blue-black since my PTQ finals loss. And I was like, I want to play blue-black. I don't want to play blue-white because I think the deck's unplayable. And I don't want to cut cards from my blue-black deck to make uh, blue-white playable. So I told them that. They're like, sure, whatever. We're going to Vegas. So we don't really have time to talk about this. We're going to test modern and limited instead. I'm like, okay, just let me know when you're back. Um, they leave. D-Rude come, ends up coming back on the Wednesday before the RPTQ, so the Wednesday after Vegas. He's like, yeah, I haven't spent time with my family, so I'm going to do that for a couple of days. We can talk. Sends me a message sometime on Thursday before the RPTQ and goes, I don't want to play this green-white deck. I think it's really bad. It doesn't win. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, every time I watch a green deck, it can't win. I'm like, D-Rude, like, I've played this format like a, a million times. Like, I'm pretty sure the white de- blue-white deck's unplayable. And if you had a problem, you should have said something like a week and a half ago. And he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to play this, like whatever. I'm like, okay, okay. But we're playing it. Friday comes along. He's like, I still feel really bad about this. People are telling me this deck's bad, like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whatever. It's too late. I don't care. We're playing it. We end up going to the local store on Saturday and DMAC plays Esper Control against a green-black opponent. The green-black opponent just resolves Carnage Tyrant on turn four. And DMAT goes, I can never beat that card. We're going to put two of these in this green-white deck sideboard. We show up on 
on uh, on Sunday. The green deck goes undefeated for the entire event. We XO Swiss and double draw in. Um, in our final match, DMAC played a Carnage Tyrant on turn four or five against the blue black opponent that had a basically exact 75 as I did. Um, uh, my first match against blue white went longer than the other two matches in our three matches. Uh, it went to decking and I ended up drawing when my opponent had a Gideon emblem in play and I didn't have any cards left in my library. And then I won the next two matches and it went to game match three, game three, and everybody was watching. We were the last ones in the building. And, uh, when my opponent extended the hand, like, I can't describe it. It was so unreal to finally finish going back to the PT. And it feels so incredibly good after we talked about not decide like what deck to play and the carnage tyrant thing and, uh, whether green white was good or not. And the deck goes undefeated. Like it just, it just feels so nice. You know, like I can't, I can't describe it. If you have the chance to queue for the pro tour, you should queue for the pro tour. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. This whole time I've been like half wanting to queue and I guess that explains why I just never qualify. Yeah, that's your problem. So did you play like the the Wesco green white list? Yeah, we cut I think there was one Angel of Sanctions in the main. We cut it for a fourth Lyra. Turns out when you play against Mono Red, six out of eight matches and you resolve a Lyra, you win. Uh especially when you have Blossoming Defense in your deck. So that was basically our game plan. Um, we played Mono Red. I don't think there was any black for Scroungers. And we played... I actually posted my exact uh, 74 of 75 cards on Reddit the, uh, the Friday before the RPTQ. And that's exactly what I played at the event. Well, I had a Confiscation Coup in the write-up, but I changed it for a Glimmer of Genius for the actual event, because I felt I didn't like coup. Um, but yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was sort of our plan with the green-white deck, was to have it, like, punk out the mono-red decks a bunch, especially because a lot of them weren't going to play on license, because they could potentially not afford to play duress, so then the incentive to play black gets lost a, li- a bit, and that's what we were hoping with our green-white deck. I'm glad it worked out for you. But our green-white deck just got paired against a lot of control and uh, the snake decks. Oh, yeah, like, we, um, me and DMAC played a couple of matches of green-white on Moto, and he, he was telling me he couldn't be control, and I told him, like, you're approaching the matchup wrong. Just play Ballista on two and don't attack. Wait for them to do something. When they jam to Fairy, then you play, like, three creatures, and you have eight in hand. And then post-board... Like, you just play every single card you, like, you bring in, like, Carnage Tyrant, um, the, like, we had another Johnny or something, and you just don't do anything. Just wait for them to do something first, because they can't kill you. You can kill them. And once they start trying to get you, you, you just get them, because your resources are so much more flexible than theirs are. And I think he, like, we beat Esper Control, and he beat Blue White Control by himself. So... It was it was really nice. Like I think I think his only bad matchups were the blue blue black deck, and we got lucky and played a Carnage Tyrant like a turn or two before it should have been played. 
Yeah, I was actually at that RPTQ, and my team ran the exact same setup that Derek's deck, uh, team did. We also had a, a green-white deck similar to Craig Wesco's. And uh, like you guys were saying, I think he punked out Mono Red with Lyra a few times, and he actually played a bunch of mirrors. And I don't know if you guys played any mirrors with your green-white deck, but those games are absolutely ridiculous. Both the mirrors just settled with like us having a, uh, a Shalai before our opponent, and like activating it six turns in a row and attacking with like an unbeatable force. They just got ridiculous. Yeah, no. Uh it was really funny because I played I played mono red twice in the event, green white once in it, and control once, I think. And DMAC played Mono Red like four out of six times for Swiss and Control once, I think, and then he played Mono Red in our top eight. And then played mono, and then played green black in the top four. And I don't remember. Like I think Deerud played control against control a lot. Um, Who was in the middle? I was in the middle. Yeah, I we we decided that I was knew probably the most about the entire format, and so it was probably very advantageous to put me in the middle uh, compared to anybody else. And yeah. Um, I had one loss in the Swiss against Mono Red. I drew both of my blood fasts uh, before like turn five and had one in play and just like needed needed to draw like literally any other spell in my deck. Um, and then I think Drood lost twice in the Swiss and Dmac went undefeated. So yeah. Um, I'm I'm just gonna accept the fact, Annie, that I look ridiculous and, and try to do this. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Aaron Barrett. Dude. Aaron Barrett, five bucks for play. Let's go get him. Shout out to Kyle Duncan. Uh, always there to support. Always there to support. Um, Derek, uh, well, leading up to nationals, though, is there anything from, from the trios that, that you've learned that you can carry over to standard one person without having to uh, worry about having to split cards with, with your teammates? Um, are you, are you going to run it back? Are you going to like DMAX deck more? What's, what's, What's the plan? Um, so I don't like DMAX deck in a regular meta. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Mono Red. I noticed after GP Pittsburgh on Moto, there was a huge uptick in people playing Black Red. Um, and I think that's because the Edgar Morgan Paul Dean configuration is specifically good against the Black Blue decks that have been popping up. Um, and I think that that, like, it's not that those, those builds of the black red deck weren't around before, but they probably weren't as good because the format wasn't a black blue format. It was a blue white format. Um, now that blue white is sort of making its way out and people are understanding how to sideboard better against it. I think that that red black deck is on the uptick. Um, and I wouldn't say there's going to be a lot of black red at our nationals this weekend because nationals seems to be a lot more like non-competitive people coming out um, because the qualification level is so low, but I do expect that the, the competitive players to be um, to be playing Black Red. But was there something wrong with what I said? I don't know. Are you, are you saying Kale won a non-competitive event last year? I'm saying until you get to like round seven, like until you, until you make day two of nationals, the majority of people you're going to play on day one probably have never competitively drafted before. <laughs> Like I, I don't know how many people I played 
in the draft last year that have ever done a time draft before. And I think that was very apparent in the amount of time it took to set up the time draft, to explain the time draft, and actually go through the time draft without having people like talk or go to the wrong spot or train or like mix up uh, the cards on top of each other, right? Like I was just blown away. But I think that's just state of affairs. Okay, so, so for people just joining us, just a recap, what, what are you narrowing your choices down to in, in one sentence? I'm probably 100% playing black, black blue. Um, I don't know why I would switch off of it. I'm very comfortable with the deck, and I, I also believe that switching decks at such short notice um, when you're successful with a deck already is just a ridiculous thing. Um, I think that also, unless you're really, really confident with your deck choice playing blue black is not a good idea and if you're if you're just getting into standard to play this event or you're just playing standard casually you should play a mono red aggro deck or a green deck um and if you're really comfortable with control play control even though i don't think it's the best choice the best thing about this standard format is there's no best deck the the meta is sort of cyclical and i think that as long as you understand what you're doing and have a good sideboard plan uh you can definitely win an event okay um you you mentioned you you posted on, on reddit uh your your blue black guide and stuff like that did, did you when i noticed oliver Two gave you a shout out pro player oliver Two. um that was sweet did, did he actually reach out to you yep um so the monday after um gp toronto uh oliver Two stayed over at my place with uh Zachary Keeney, I think it's pronounced, and uh, Chris, I think his name's Chris Turnbull or something. Uh, he's, they're all from Boston together. Uh, so I, I know uh, Zach from a group chat that I'm in with a couple of Americans from the SCG circuit, and he asked to stay over. And so we had a discussion about Standard and what's going on. Uh, I was streaming a blue-black deck after my PTQ finals loss, and he was in my chat talking about it. Um, I had talked about doing a sideboard guide and stuff, and uh, he sent me a message on Facebook and said, this is where I'm at. Uh, it's like 10 cards off your list. How do you feel? Um, and we talked about, like, originally, I think he had one Argos Bloodfast, one Search for His Cant in the main. Um, and then Keith and Edgar came on the call one night, and we discussed having two Argos Bloodfast, smoothing out how many Chupacabras we would have in a Grand Prix setting, in an RPTQ setting, and what our sideboard configuration should look at like. And I think... That that like that with the the sideboard guide like I gave it all Oliver and we discussed it and it was really cool of him to give me a shout out because I didn't really think I gave him that much information but like he came second and his list is maybe seven cards off mine um, so I I think if I was at Pittsburgh I like there's a chance I would have topped that Grand Prix also uh, I think <laughs> dab on the haters you know but uh, yeah. Yeah, so we, we did sort of work together, I guess. <laughs> Sweet. All that trophy hunting. Um, I'm, I'm just glad that uh, you're getting the respect, not just from us, but from, from known players. Um, while, while KD is still in the chat, uh, I, I just want to say, like, like, one of the bigger news this week is finally um, 
MatterDeprived.com is going to be uh, found on magic.facefacegames.com sometime this week. Uh, we're currently in the process of migrating everything over. Um, eight years ago, I started MatterDeprived.com uh, as just a, a simple blog, and then it was it was cool to have um, Alex Hayne, Vincent Thibault, just like want to submit content. Uh, even though they're like, hey, who's going to read this? And I, I, I couldn't guarantee them an audience, right? No one knew who I was. I was just you know, somewhat known uh, for, I had a bit of chess success, but um, it, it was nice of them to, to believe in, in me and submit content. And, and KD was also one of the first uh, believers. And, and I really believed in... Um, on the site was just to promote Canadian players. Uh, a lot of the episodes on First Strike, I talk about how if coverage were to promote personalities more, uh, we would fall in love with the personalities more. We would care more. We would root for the people more. And that's what I tried to bring to Canada and to bring all these new players, uh, all these up-and-coming players at the time when Twitter and social media was not big. And, and I'm grateful, again, for guys like KD, David Kaplan, when he top-aided uh, 2011 Worlds, he gave me a shout-out for, for uh, being one of the reasons for success because without me and the site and the community, he wouldn't have met Alex Hayne. And then later on, Alex Hayne would win Pro Tour Avacyn Restored uh, with a man-deprived T-shirt. And well, that was, that was kind of crazy. And the team was man-deprived. And uh, I'm just proud of all the work that I've done. But uh, with that said, uh, after the first year of face-to-face games, the, it was rising. It was already the biggest store in Canada. And we had partnered up really quickly early on. And I, I work, uh, I've worked for them. Uh, for a few years now, and it just makes sense to to move on from from just being like a personal thing. And it's sort of been running like face to face. It has been sponsoring the site for a while now. And it just makes sense to just put it all under one brand. And what you can expect is just not just the same thing. You're going to expect way more uh, with face uh, putting more resources behind it. Now that's going to be under their own brand. So expect more writers, more content, and everything else. And I just want to thank everyone for, for the support over the years uh, for supporting the, the brand. I don't know what we're going to do with the Manada private brand moving forward, but yeah. And right now I'm, I'm half a box because I'm moving in and trying to set up so that there's not a lot of echo and it's kind of weird to give sort of a emotional and that's a random announcement going on out of the box. Uh, but in podcast form, it hopefully should be fine. I, and I still remember uh, when I was still starting out the site, Derek could not afford fetch lands. He was playing basic forest or something. I remember, I remember when, when men in a pride first came out and you guys started doing the 18 podcast and I went to a, a TCG 5k in Toronto and Luke, Luke was like, you got to meet these guys. We're hanging out. And he like sent, I think it was you or somebody, a picture of this gas station employee named Emrakul. He's like, yo, I met Emrakul at the gas station today. It was like in an article. And then Alexander Hain wrote uh, a tournament report for the PTQ after the PTQ he won. Uh, And he stayed over at Luke's house and challenged me to a game of chess for $5. And he writes this article and I'm just like randomly shouted out in this article. He's like, beat this random kid for $5 because I told him I was really bad at chess or something. I'm just like, and then he wins Avison, like PT Alice Avison restored like two months later. I'm just like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, like, man, it probably blew up. But 
Yeah, I remember all that. That was insane. Yeah, it was when BDM first talked about the the rising of new teams. Like it was just CFB at the time. They were winning everything, and when when Mana Deprived won, Avison restored. They're like, hey, maybe there's there's other teams as well. So, but again, all, all of it was thanks to to the early supporters. At Doug Potter, uh, we teamed up, and like early, the early video content was me and Doug playing against Mike Flores. That was the, the very first videos we did. Adam Yurchik believed in us. Uh, Dan Lantier, like the list goes on and on. So uh, thanks to everyone who who was part of the success. And uh, you know, I'll probably write. I'm probably going to write a more formal post, a little quick post, uh, not talking a box, but uh, you guys get a early taste on that. But again, uh, I'm more. Uh, I'm super excited about the future because we're, we're going to have more resources to do a lot more and hopefully get some of the bigger name writers uh, under the face umbrella. And with that, let's go back to, to continue our what happened segment with Andy, who had a great start. And uh, our first strike nation was really happy. I was really happy for your start. And Alice Bianchi was also X1, I think. Uh, Andy, what happened? Oh, man. So uh, it started. Uh... The GP started off very poorly. So we are traveling to the event with like uh, 45 minutes before the, uh, the round's over. And we get caught in traffic. And uh, I actually missed the first round. I missed round three of the GP because of uh, in Pittsburgh, a few days before the event, uh, the police shot a black kid, uh, an unarmed black kid in the back. And so there's a Black Lives uh, Matter rally all through the town. And we asked the police officer, like, how do we get to the convention center? And he said, oh, it'll be over in 30 minutes. There's no way there. And we're like, oh, okay. And so we ended up walking, and we were, we were 30 minutes late for the round. So we undrop ourselves. I'm a little upset, but there's nothing we could have, could have done, really. And uh, then I, I win every round on that day, just 2-0-2-0-2-0-2-0-2-0. And uh, I was pretty happy with it. Uh, the deck felt very good. I played... Very close to Derek's deck. I think we were probably only like five five to seven cards off from each other. Disagreed about Chupacabras and everything else was just kind of wish mishmash, wish-wash. Could have go either way for, for the lists, I think. And uh, so the first round of day two, I play against my friend in the blue-black mirror. And I keep a hand that's just... It's Argyle's Bloodfast and almost nothing else. So I go turn two, Bloodfast, go. He goes turn two, Bloodfast, go. And it lasts like 30 minutes. And I win the game. And then game two, I get ran over. And I concede very quickly because I want to have time to win game three. And then game three, I go turn two, Bloodfast. He goes turn two, Bloodfast. And we go to time. And uh, honestly, uh, we both played pretty fast. Like I could, You could say that either of us could have played a little faster. But the game was like 10 turns away from being done. So like it felt, it felt bad to draw the first round of the day. But then I, I was like, okay, I think control is sort of an okay matchup. Like I don't mind playing against those decks. And so the first round I get played, after that I play against the blue-black mirror, and I win very easily. I was like, all right, we're back. And then I think I lose four straight to Esper Control. Yeah, and the the worst part is, is I know the matchups going in because you're in the draw bracket, so you know that like your fatal pushes are garbage and your cast downs are garbage. So I'm keeping these hands that are just like I kept a hand against control that was Vraska's contempt, three glint sleeve siphoners, and three lands. I was like, oh, see in hell, and he just went push, push, push. 
And I was like, oh, okay, I'm dead. I can't do anything else. And that's kind of how all my matchups went against Control. Typically, what I saw previously is a very good matchup. I got rocked four, four rounds in a row by Esper Control. And it was just like similar th- things kept happening. It's like my because they're Esper and not blue-white, my siphoners kept dying. And because I was playing JT's list, my deck is just full of Jace's defeats. And I couldn't counter these Raska's contempts. <clears throat> and uh, that cost me a lot, I think. And uh, I, I don't know. I would like to see maybe one more Bloodfast in the sideboard for, uh, for control decks. Because it's like the, the card you want to draw the absolute most against the deck. And that's actually a suggestion Elliot made. Because I was going to jam a Search for Azkanta into the sideboard. And he's like, don't you just want to draw Bloodfast more? And I was like, yeah, yeah I guess so. Like, you, you really do. And you had your list had two search rest cantas and two Argos Bloodfast. I told you just play four Argos Bloodfast and get it over with. That's that's really aggressive. I, I'm currently playing one search for his canta in the board because I find search for his cantas better against red than Argos Bloodfast is. Uh, but that's that's why. Like I was playing one one before because I felt search was just really really good against red decks. But Argos Bloodfast is better in the main, and I agree it's the only card you want to draw. But I think, like, you can definitely play both. Um, but it sounds like you definitely got the bad side of variance against those Esper decks, because I usually find that the, if, if you pressure them the right way and they don't have three pushes every time, you can, you can just run them over, right? Yeah, and I, so I'm in a spot where I have, like, a, I have Deadeye Trackers in my deck, and I have a Deadeye Tracker in play, and I play uh, the Spyglass, and my, my opponent has, like, Teferi, Teferi, Ballista, Ballista, and I'm like, Holy crap! I'll, I'll name Walking Ballista because I can't ever beat that card. And uh, it just uh, so many things went wrong, and I died to a card that I think is terrible. I died to the big blue dinosaur twice, and it just didn't matter what I did. I kept getting the bad end of things on that. Well, obviously, like I could do some things better, but like those dead eye trackers were some dead weight. They were fine against control, but you, you could certainly have better cards. So I, I'm not sure. So what happened was I, I caught a little bad variance in matchup that I thought was really good, but maybe I'm misunderstanding it or got to be doing something wrong, maybe. <laughs> uh, Ginger, your take on Andy, is he doing something wrong? Uh, the thing that Andy's doing wrong is just uh, playing Jerry's list and not mine. That's... Like I, I, I don't want to sound cocky because Jerry has a lot more accomplishments than I do. Um, but when I look at Jerry's list, I saw like ten cards that I would just never play or play doubles of. Like he was playing two Supreme Will, two uh, Dead Eye Trackers in the board, and like a couple other things. And I just could not imagine a circumstance where I would play these cards. And I actually had this conversation with Keith. Uh, I'm like, man, like, I feel if he's practicing as much as I am, or if he's playing these decks and grinding these numbers, like, how does he come to these conclusions? He was just like, oh, it's probably not that deep. But, like, I just don't, like, I, I played Dead Eye Tracker last season for a week and couldn't get behind it unless you're on Godfrey's Gift. And Godfrey's Gift isn't even that bad of a matchup. You have three Scarab Gods in your deck uh, and the Gates post board. And Jace's Defeat only counters Gear Hulk and, and, uh, Scarab God, what happens when you get paired against um, like Esper Control and you need to counter Vras's Contempts, or you get paired against the Hour of Glory de- or 
the green hour deck and you have to counter that. Uh, or like, I don't know. There's so many places where Jace's defeat just isn't that good because the format is not 30%, 40% blue decks right now. It's 30%, 40% red decks. And sometimes the gate counters a Chandra or an Ongrath or uh, Eldest Reborn compared to a Scarab God or a Gearhulk. And I think that the fact that uh, like those cards are in there just shows that uh, it wasn't adapted to the format. It was just a generally good theorized deck. I just needed some tuning. I love it. I love the bold take. Uh, Elliot, were, were you in Pittsburgh? Uh, no, I played the Toronto RPTQ. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we played the same configuration as Derek's team. I played blue-black mid-range, and uh, I played a list that's very close to what Derek played, and I agree that I think that Andy was maybe a bit a bit the victim of playing Jace's defeat and a bit the victim of, of some bad RNG. Uh, like, I played against Esper mid-range twice in the, twice in the RPTQ, and I went to Oversit. Uh, like, in the in actually the last round we were playing for top sixteen, and it was all down to me versus Esper control in game two, and because uh, our game one was like a marathon, and um, my six card hand was Island 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 Aether Hub Aether Hub Argwell's Bloodfast, and I just like glanced at one of my teammates, and he gave me the nod, and I kept the hand, scribed a drowned catacomb to the top, and it was not even close. So uh, I think that yeah, like. If like obviously zero four, you have to get unlucky. It doesn't no matter how bad the matchup is, right? Like when you're playing four ciphers and a bunch of Argos Bloodfasts, you can't go zero four without getting unlucky. But uh I, I definitely agree with Eric. I think that maybe some of Andy's card choices weren't correct. Ooh, I love it. Um Elliot, uh for, for nationals, are we all just on the on the blue black train here? It just seems like we're all gonna play blue black. Oh, big time. I've been playing blue black midrange for like I think this entire format, I, I've played definitely zero games of like mono red or red black, so I'm locked same, in for that. Same. I got chirped real hard by Keith and Edgar earlier. They're like, how many decks have you played in this format? I'm like, all of them. They're like, how many basic mountains have you registered in a competitive REL event? I was like, zero. And they just laughed at me. They're like, mono red and red black were the best decks for like a month, and you didn't register it at all. What is wrong with you? And man, I'm telling you, I'm ready for mid range mirrors all day. Like, let's go. I know how to count to 10. Woo! Yeah, when, uh, when Dominaria first came out on Moto, I played one league with the, the Goblin Godfaro gift deck because I thought it would be hilarious. So I, I cast some Chain Whirlers there. I got my, I got my bid in. And I think I played one league with Mono Red that just went atrocious and played Glintsleeve Siphoner for the rest of the format. Glintsleeve Siphoner is Dark Confidant and Argos Bloodfast is Yawgmoth's Bargain. <laughs> and uh, Champion of Wits is Faithless Looting. Uh, I was smart enough to play some basic mountains. Though I did not win any of those tournaments. I lost in the top four in the finals. But I played the, some Black Red Aggro. I think that deck's pretty good. I, I'm still certainly going to, like, I tried a bunch of control the last couple of days because I just wanted to see if I could get a handle on those decks because I preferred blue-black control in the last uh, last format a lot. But uh, I think I'm just going to play blue-black mid-range. It's just too powerful, and it basically is a control deck anyway. But, but you said you kept losing to the Esper deck day two? Was that right? 
I did, yeah. If you can't beat him, join him. Kevin Durant <laughs> in the house. Why did you, you play Esper then? I tried. I lost. Esper's really bad. Esper's like, I think control decks in this format specifically are a trap. And I think that's because the, the blue-white control deck won the, the SCG week one and everybody just thinks it's good. Um, but it's not. Well, I guess it also lost the finals of a Grand Prix. But the metagame for that Grand Prix was so skewed that like anybody could have played a control deck at that event and probably made the top eight. Uh, that, that's an over-exaggeration on purpose, but uh, it's, it's just wild that I think people think control decks are good. Ooh, man, so, so everyone's going to play something. Elliot, so you, you would recommend something that's closer to Derek's configuration for, for people heading the Nats? Yeah, I think I ended up at the RPT playing like four or five cards different from the Derek's list. Like, I just looked at what he was playing and decided that I really didn't want to lose to Mono Red, so I put like an Essence Extraction in my main deck instead of a Cast Down. And like, yeah, I I think that Derek Derek had it right. What? Even Chupa Barbara? I did not play a Chupacabra. I played a Supreme Will instead of the Chupacabra. My main I deck might... was like was two cards different. I might cut a Chupacabra for an Essence Extraction. I, I played, after playing the Chupacabra at the RPDQ, every time I drew it, I was like, God, I kind of just wish this was literally any card ever. Like, th- this, this could be, uh, like, I could get a game loss for this card, and I'd still rather beat any other card. It can't block. <laughs> it, it, it can't attack. It can't block. It does nothing. <laughs> it's only good with Liliana and Scarab God. That's why I played the second cast down instead. Yeah, I well, I cut it for uh today. I cut it for I put another cast down in my main and moved the chup to the board. Uh, but I might just cut it from the seventy five. Uh, it's very clunky and I'm never happy when I have it. Uh, there's other cards I want to try too that I couldn't play for the RPTQ like Walking Blista, but I don't know if they'll make the cut. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Sweet. I'm going to give a quick shout out to Jennifer Krotz and Sergio Ferry. Always nice to see them. And also to mention that uh, uh, the promotion our, our sponsor is having, facefacegames.com, 10% off all MTG singles. We're actually going to push it to an extra day because there are a bunch of air, uh, issues with, with uh, Crystal Commerce today. So a lot of people couldn't make their orders or complete their orders. So we're going to leave it on for another day. So if you haven't heard about the 10% special, make sure to go check it out. Of course, uh, go to mtgnationals.ca to pre-register. Uh, Got to let you guys know there's no Saturday main event registration, so don't uh, screw yourself over by not pre-registering. If you plan to play, please pre-register. Um, we'll, we'll take a break from from all the standard talk because, like, if, if Sergio, you're just joining in, like, we we broke it down. We broke down like what the best, what likely is the best blue black build that you should be playing this up, upcoming weekend for anybody. Just play blue black. Listen to Derek. Check his Reddit post. Ask him questions. Tweet at him, and we're good to go. So, Pascal Menard, a good friend of mine, just posted, uh, tweeted recently that he's been working on a team on a site that he hasn't. Uh, that this is one of the projects that he's put the most effort on in a while. And it's a site called fanesports.com. And uh, instead of talking like, like this for a while, I'll let you take over, Andy. So, uh, so yeah. So, Pascal uh, seems to be backing uh, this site. And it's uh, fanesports.com. And so, my understanding of it, is that it's uh, taking a lot of the things from daily fantasy sports, which have blown up a lot recently, the DraftKings and FanDuel, 
and it's uh, taking it to uh, esports, so you can bet on things like uh, Dota, League of Legends, uh, and Magic, which is, I assume, why he uh, was probably so passionate about it. And uh, looking at it right now, so the way it works is um, <clears throat> you have coins, and I'm not sure how, how you acquire them, but you can use these coins to enter events, and uh, based on how well your lineup does, you win more of these coins, which I'm sure are worth some sort of value. And it's super appealing because uh, people love to uh, do fantasy drafts anyway for Magic, right? Like people do it all the time and do their own thing. But now we have a website that'll make it hopefully a lot easier. And uh, just like, then you could do a whole bunch of them with people you don't know as well. So they're more accessible. So I think it sounds like a really cool idea. And I think Elliot mentioned that uh, there's been some, like League of Legends has had similar type things before. And how did those work? Uh, with League of Legends, the way it worked was, I think they still have it actually, but it's uh, essentially you draft players and it's like, in League of Legends, at least one per position. So I think that maybe some of the, the video game options on that site might be similar. And then based on how well they perform in the game, you get points. And then like it's sort of uh, whoever has the most points in your league each week wins. And uh, you like start players similar to how you would in, in, in fantasy sports. It, it borrows a lot from there. And then the points you just get are for objectives in the game. So I'd imagine, that at least for the Magic branch, it's something like uh, you draft your players in the tournament based on their final standing, kind of like top 8, top 16, top 32 kind of thing. You get points. And then whoever's team has the most points wins the, the coins. Which seems super cool. I've done some fantasy drafts for like super unofficial Google Docs stuff. And it's always a ton of fun. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So Derek, you're someone who I, uh, I assume doesn't uh, know anything about uh, daily fantasy sports or sports at all, except for uh, field hockey. Uh, so field hockey. so um, is this something that you think would get your attention? Like, would you go and like build a lineup for the Pro Tour or for a Grand Prix? Maybe. Um, as someone who doesn't know anything really about sports betting uh, or really betting in general, I don't really, I can't really say that like I would get into betting because of this, but it would definitely pique my interest having like a personal connection to these teams that are actually trying to uh, like do well in an event and follow them more closely. Like I remember I had a fantasy hockey team league in, uh, in high school and did not watch hockey except for that one season. And I watched it so closely that I remember so many things about that season that I just will never get out of my brain. Uh, I think that would be like really useful. And it's, I think it's really cool if we actually do consider that maybe someday magic can be an esport. that um, having people starting to bet and get involved in more of, instead of just playing the game, but on an outside looking in, having interest on who's doing well and who's playing what and who, what players are playing where and how to get them there so their teams are doing better and sponsorship deals, then this is one of the better ways to move forward with that. Uh, and just putting more money in the pool is like, can't ever really go wrong, right? Um, yeah, it's probably just really, really incentivizes people to do well at events too, get your name out there, get some better sponsorship deals and stuff. Yeah, any kind of uh, outside thing that like could potentially help prop magic up is obviously uh, a positive. I hope. 
it seems the way it works is that you uh, you pick an event and then you pick players, like your six players for a lineup. And I'm not sure if players are based on like how well they think will do, like cost more, which is like a typical thing of fantasy sports. I'm not sure if it's going to work quite like that. And another odd thing about like betting on, let's say, who's going to do well at a GP is like, how do you know if they're going to the GP? So like, I just pulled up one for, I was going to, put my thing in for Grand Prix Barcelona and I was like, all right, I'll click Owen Turtenwald and this I'm like, wait, is he going? I was like, who's going? And so now all of a sudden I have no clue who to put in my lineup. I know Martin Hughes is going to be in it because he goes to everything. That's all I got. Matthew Folks is going to be there, I think. I don't think he's on the list, dude. Uh, maybe someday I'll be on the list. That's how you know you made it. When people can bet on you. Nice. Like a horse. Yeah, that's where I am. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, did, did I miss much? Was that just Andy breaking it down? Yeah, I was just kind of breaking down how it works. Uh, about like how I'm not sure if you have like different players are worth different values, but you have to submit a lineup and based on how they do, you'll get like X amount of the pot based on how well you finish. And um, the pot good, is based on how many people enter. Good point on the whole. Uh, whether they're attending or not. I think that's a really good point because that's a frustration I have with, with currently when we're, we're drafting for fun, the PT, it's like uh, not, not the first couple of rounds, right? You probably get that with like the fifth and sixth rounds, like, ah, maybe this guy and he doesn't really show up. And then we set a rule where it's like, okay, let's count the best five of six, just in case someone doesn't show up. Um, I play a fair amount of DFS and, and uh, definitely one of the frustrations are playing a guy and getting zero points because they don't play. But thankfully in most sports, you're going to get confirmed lineups uh, before like 30 minutes, at least in basketball, they're, they're going to announce the starting lineups 30 minutes before a uh, lineups lock. So, but they don't do that for magic. Like it would be cool if they did that for similarly as well. Like they show the player list and then they start round one, like 30 minutes after like, but they do it specifically because of this site. So probably we probably won't see that happen. Uh, Elliot, you had some quick thoughts. Yeah, I actually just want to tack on uh, Derek was talking about how, it would be cool if like this grows magic now that people can bet on it. And uh, like we talked a little bit about, I talked a little bit at least about how like the league of legends fantasy system works, but uh, betting on games in counter-strike global offensive is actually what like totally revitalized that game. Like uh, valve, the developer added uh, like cosmetic skins to the game and people quickly realized like, Hey, these skins have value and we can trade them. What if we just like, bet on the results of all these games and all of a sudden like like the tier one esports like the best teams that were playing were already pretty popular on the streams but all of a sudden these like sort of garbage teams that like really no one otherwise cared about like there would be a game with them every night and everyone just bet every night and you know like you'd start having like thousands of people watch teams that otherwise no one would ever care about and like it brought the player base from probably close to like what you'd consider a failure for how big that game used to be back right up there. And it was like one of the most popular games on, on, on Twitch for a while. So I think it'd be really cool if, if uh, Fanny sports does something like that for magic. Wow. I really didn't think about that angle. Uh, Andy folks is on the list. So there's like a big group of picture of like a bunch of pros, but you can like search up other people. And Derek, you're not on the list I checked. Maybe one day. Got to get my clout up more, I guess. 
uh, Elliot, for these other games, how, how much money was on the line? I mean, I, I like the the fear of of. I keep hearing that you know Watsi never wants their game to be associated with gambling and stuff like that. So, what do you think about all that? Well, I know that uh, Valve really tried to distance themselves from it. Like they've put in a lot of measures against gambling because um, obviously, anytime you have gambling set up in places where people can like gain and lose a bunch of money, people are going to try to abuse that. Um, and that brings like some less than savory people in, but like skins in Counter-Strike were worth between like two cents for the ones that were absolutely worthless to like potentially thousands of dollars. And people were betting like hundreds to thousands of dollars on specific games. And, you know, usually that's going to be like the bigger tournaments. Like I was saying, like the top tier teams, which, you know, you might equate to like a pro tour, but, you know, people were still betting hundreds of dollars on these like tier three teams because, you know, like the the way the system worked, it, it doesn't feel like money sometimes, right? You put your skin in that like, you know, maybe you maybe you won some bets earlier to get this skin and, you know, you only put like 20 bucks into it and you just have to click one button to, to like see you later skin, you know, and maybe like it's going to be a similar thing with this coins. Maybe you buy like 50 coins for five bucks and, you know, maybe all of a sudden betting a hundred coins doesn't feel so bad anymore. Uh, so it could be interesting, but yeah, it, there was like huge money involved in these, in this counter-strike gambling. So this could be big. Ah, Andy, what, what, what do you think? Do you think it actually has a shot of, of being something? So as magic is with, with like a lot of other things is that it has always has like some glaring flaws when you try to compare it to the other games. And this, you don't know who's attending the events thing. I, I, I'm already frustrated about it, like, because I just want to pick people for a lineup and for this Grand Prix, and I have no clue who's going to be there. And then I have to, like, figure out what part of the Earth is Barcelona in again, and who lives near Barcelona. Is, is that over there? Where's that? And so, <laughs> now I'm stuck trying to figure out who lives near it and who's going. So, like, I think they, that's a hurdle, and that's a hurdle that they have to overcome. Like in uh, basketball, like you mentioned, they like force teams to submit their starting lineup half an hour before an event because people were losing their goddamn minds in these uh, daily fantasy sports betting stuff, which is just a huge like upside for for the NBA to have. So I hope they can overcome it. Like, I don't know how you can get a confirmed player list or something like that, or they could put check marks by people who have confirmed they're going and they, but like, that sounds like a lot of man hours to scour Twitter for who's going or like why there's no incentive for these people to confirm they're going is there, or maybe like give them some coins if they confirm they're attending. <laughs> I don't know. That's amazing. Um, like, yeah, the only way it would be like, what's the, um, thinking these sites help the game overall and cooperating with them like like especially these events with no like bigger events with no saturday registration you could easily get the list from them somehow on friday um and and it's kind of cool it's cool for for the audience to know who's going just like it, it kind of sucks like you you know as an nba fan like greg popovich will, will bench like someone like tim duncan like out 30 minutes out or, or if someone branches like kobe bryant 30 minutes out and you just paid to go see them it's a huge blowout, right, Andy? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. The NBA has disincentivized like uh, people benching their players at on away games because, like, 
can you imagine? You're like, oh, I'm so hyped. LeBron is coming to Toronto. And he's just taking the night off because he's a little tired. He's like, you don't need to win this game. LeBron, get out of here. I didn't like you don't pay like a few hundred dollars to go see uh I'm trying to think of Jordan Clarkson. Jerry Smith. Rodney Hood. Right, right. Uh let's let's wrap up this topic. Uh, Derek, your final thoughts on this. Um, other than the fact that I'm hundred percent sure Wizards does not like gambling on the outcomes of magic uh matches, I'm sure that in the future this will probably Grow Magic the Gathering, barring something wizards intervening, sort of thing. But yeah, I like it. It's cool. I'm interested. Yeah, like Watsy certainly is not allowed to like support this in, some, in any way, really, right? Like, so like when you say like get the player list out there, like <laughs> is CFB gonna release the player list because Watts like Watsy's not gonna want them to? They're gonna be like, hey, don't do that. Like, don't help these people. We're not gambling. We're just a fun trading card game. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, if, if any of you in the audience have thoughts, please leave them in the comments. Um, let's wrap this up with, with some, like your your approach to limited this this upcoming week. I don't know. Derek just thinks that everyone's casual and he's just going to school. Uh, Derek, are you going to do some gambits like you've done and and just like assume certain ca- cards will will pass back to you again? No, but I definitely will assume that certain archetypes will be more open or more not open. I'm expecting like blue red wizards not to be as open because I know that everybody knows that that archetype is one of the better archetypes. So I'll probably be looking to draft maybe a different couple colors. Um, I'm going to definitely practice a couple drafts, but I do assume that uh, the deeper cards that are coming like seventh and eighth. Um, may go under a lot more people's radars because they don't actually have a deep understanding of the format. And I will draft differently based on my um, record at the time. So if I'm in the X2 draft pod, maybe I'll be a little looser with my draft picks to try to get rewarded. If I'm in the XO pod, I'm going to draft as tight as I possibly can and try not to get cut by uh, Lucas Seau or something, you know. But for the most part, uh, I think it'll definitely be softer. than some other drafts I've played before. Yeah, uh, you're mentioning of the Blue-Red Wizards being overdrafted at an event like this because it's just like a a, a known thing. It reminds me of last Nationals. Like, everyone had this notion that Blue-Green Merfolk was just the stone unbeatables if you got it. And so, like, it was so hard to draft that in this format because everyone wanted it so bad. So I could see a similar thing with Blue-Red Wizards. Like, you might not get, like, the, the Wizards that like our support support your deck but aren't great in your deck as easily as you would before or as you're supposed to uh elliot have you done much uh, draft preparation uh i fired up one draft league earlier today and i 3-0'd and that was the first time i've played dominary limited since the pre-release so uh luckily i had i had kale on the screen share hang, helping me out. I know he played a lot he played a lot to prepare for the Pro Tour, so I had him helping me and I got that trophy and I think I'm just gonna coast with that three O straight to nationals and, and play very little more. <laughs> Andy, are you gonna put some more prep than, than Elliot? Uh well I also tested a lot of Dominaria Limited f- for Kale uh for the Pro Tour. So I've played a, a ton of drafts. 
So I'm going to continue playing it because they're a lot of fun. So it's like something I get to do that's fun testing. Like it's better than playing modern or, or, or something like that. So at least you get to play a sweet draft format and probably the last time we're going to play it almost forever. I think, I think um, one of the other things about uh, the way nationals is set up is that the first five rounds are standard. Um, so if you do happen to have a couple of people that are used to playing standard, maybe your draft pod will be a little softer than average. Although I wouldn't bet on it if you're X1 or XO, but I remember last year uh, I was in the X2 bracket after going 3-2 in standard and six out of, or no, I was X1-1. Six out of eight people like had never done a time draft before. It was me and this old, one other guy, and he beat me in the, in the finals to 3 of the draft. And nobody, nobody knew how to time draft. It was like, I was blown away. I wasn't even the last draft pod because we were X11. There was like another 20 draft pods after us. Uh, I just think like you're experiencing your first draft pod. It's just going to be so like soft might not be the right word, like casual maybe like FNM draft pod compared to like maybe your draft pod on day two. Um, and I think if, you, if you're looking to just make two day two, maybe like keep your mind out for that. And if you're looking to, to like, I don't know, grind, grind to the top, like keep, keep your dry out for that also. Also like you probably need to know standard a lot more than you need to know limited for this event. Uh, considering there's 10 rounds of 10 rounds of standard. No dude. What? Six and six. Six and six. Yeah. I think it's seven is standard, is it? Or is it four? No, four it's, a it's draft. Four, four standard draft, draft two standard. I would say yeah, draft. At least is that's what it was one. last year. Oh right, that's right, what right. It was last year. I thought it was five, three, three, three. No, oh, you play. Saying? You play. Yeah. So I actually think draft is way more important than standard in this format because oh. that's where you can like easily clean up compared to standard. Right? You can get your edges so hard in in a limited format. Because the average limited player, as as you've discussed, Eric, is certainly worse than the average constructed player. Because if they're below average or average, they're going to have an like a worse deck, and they're going to play worse. You just get double like the spots to to clean up. And I think it's so important to clean up, especially because you start day two with that draft, and you have like a lot of times you're going to be put in a position where you have to three zero that draft to to continue your fight for top eight. When in standard. Like, even players that are potentially below average or whatever, they're still going to have, like, the pros lists. And even if they change a couple cards, their decks are still more powerful than, like, the average limited deck versus a good draft or drafting a good limited deck. So I think draft is the most important format for, for Nationals. Amen. Okay, and with that, before I freeze again, I'm just going to wrap, wrap up the show. Uh, Shout-outs to our First Strike Nation, Jonathan Good, Kalsmer, Chick, J. Thomas, Eaton, Sasha Papo, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, everyone in the First Strike Nation for always supporting us, our show, all our efforts. Uh, we hope to see some of you at Nationals. Um, and that will do it for us. Anything else, guys? Catch me at the Pro Tour. Uh, uh, I don't really know what else to say other than that. We're going to wonderful... Minneapolis, Minnesota, where the Mighty Ducks one was filmed. I looked it up. We're gonna, we're probably gonna go to the Grand Prix the week before, and on on our off time, I'm gonna drag everybody out to go see, uh, go see sights. Like we're gonna go to the park. Have you have you guys seen the Mighty Ducks? 
Yeah, I, I've seen the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, the first. You know, you know when you know when uh, Coach Bombay like pulls out onto the ice into the park. That's a real park in Minneapolis, and we're going to go there. I'm going to see if they'll let me go to the law office. And uh, the the old the old uh, ice rink got torn down, and they rebuilt it. I think when the the North Stars moved to Dallas, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking really forward to go check out the the Mighty Ducks stomping grounds. Can you bring like four guys with you and do the flying V? Like with you at with you leading the charge, obviously. Yeah, I'm going to bring more than four guys. We're going to bring the entire pro tour. I'm going to so talk to BDM. Yeah. We're going to get LSV up on this. You know, he loves a good joke, and this isn't even a joke. This is my life. <laughs> LeBron to Philly. That's all I got to say. LeBron to Philly. All right. It- prediction? Bold prediction? That's happening. No, he's right? going to LA, but I want him to go to Philly. <laughs> and Derek, you got to do like, uh, I don't know, some video where you just make everyone chant ducks fly together or something. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 thinking about like maybe getting out here and doing a vlog called it the misplaced log, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna vlog our adventures with uh, with the boys, the lads, the the all the teams out here that are going to this random legacy pro tour. Just get just yeah, just get a great editor, and I, I think it would be it would smash. So uh, th- thanks for joining us, Elliot. We'll hope to have you uh, on. Again, sometime in the future. Yeah, no problem. I had a lot of fun, and, and uh, uh, maybe maybe next time I can weigh in on some some rules or policy. Uh, I, I loved weighing in on the chat when those were when those were big topics. So I had no idea you were an L two. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I kind of got there under the radar. So I've had a lot of people like when I talk about judging or being an L two, they're kind of just like, "Wait, what?" So uh, yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. That's cool. Events. He just fuck. He, he found an L2. <laughs> just found like a badge on the floor and just picked it up. And was like, all right. He just oh. amazing. Um, hopefully, we get Brian Jemba uh, back next week. And next next time I'm on, I'll have more furniture. I try to do it the the godly way. I actually, had a bunch of toilet paper. Just didn't have enough. If you've seen his setup on Twitter. He's got like a castle going on, but I've got this box and hopefully the sound isn't terrible. But uh, for Andy, Elliot, Derek, and myself, see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining in. Make sure to like, subscribe, do all that jazz, share. Love you guys. Bye.